is from 1 Kings, chapter 19, 9 through 12. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass you by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Dawn Heckert, and I am a woman of many titles. I am the wife to John Heckert, mother of two daughters, Lina and Annabelle, and I'm pastor of Children's Ministries here at Leewood. And I am just so excited to be sharing God's word with you this morning. But before I do that, I want to share three things about myself that might help you to know me better or be a connecting place for us to get to know each other better. So first off, my um, name is unique because I'm one of a set of identical twins. Children of the 70s, during the age of Aquarius. Some of you might know what that is. Others, you're too young. My parents gave birth uh, to two girls. They named the first one Dawn and the second one Dusk. And I am so glad I came out first. (laughs) (laughs) Secondly, my oldest daughter is leaving for college in 23 days. And that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> and finally, as one of 12 children, that's my crew, um, I am the collector and the teller of story for our family. And that is why I am so excited to be here to share this story of our greater family with you this morning. Let's pray. Father, I pray thanksgiving for your living word, which speaks to us today and assures us that you are here with us, just as you were with Elijah. May you remind us today of your presence through a word or an image, releasing us from our own hiding and ushering us back into your presence and ready to serve. Amen. Well, this morning we're diving back into God's grand story, and he's currently using his prophet Elijah to bring Israel back to him. And if you haven't been here for this entire series, I really encourage you to go back and listen to our podcast for the God With Us series and to catch up. But let me just take you back a week ago where Elijah had just defeated Baal in this epic fire battle, And Jezebel heard what had happened to her prophets after that battle, and she threatened Elijah's life. 
He was to get the same that her prophets had, and that was death. And so Elijah, forgetting all of God's previous provisions, has gone on the run. And today we find him in the passage we just heard read, thinking not only has he escaped Jezebel's death threat, he's escaped God's calling on his life. And this is where um, this morning's passage starts, with Elijah thinking he's taken control of his own destiny, and he's become lost in his own scene. I want us to imagine that passage that was just read as though a director was saying these things. The camera is a wide-angle view of a mountain and its landscape, and we see the sky. And as we move along the mountain, we come across a path strewn with pebbles and broken foliage. As the camera continues to track that path, it picks up on a set of footprints, one person traveling, until they reach the edge of this rocky cave. The director tells the cameraman, zoom in, push in on this moment. And as it enters the cave, it sees something on the ground. And as it gets closer, it recognizes it's a man. He's disheveled in his appearance. His cloaks are wrinkled and sweaty, and they're strewn across the ground like makeshift bedding. His head is laying on a rock. His eyes are closed, but his eyes are moving back and forth beneath his eyelids. And his arms and his body jerk as though he's trying to escape the grasp of someone. And here we find our hero, our lead actor, sitting in silence with the promise only of the cave's echoes to greet him. End scene. It would have been normal for ancient readers to hear God's story and say, yeah, caves are a hiding place. For example, 1 Samuel 22, David runs and hides in a cave when Saul is seeking to kill him. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 23 and 24, David decides not only to hang out in a cave again to escape Saul, but he brings 600 of his soldiers with him into that cave. And just two weeks ago, we heard about Obadiah, another faithful in Israel, who has hidden 600 other prophets in a cave to escape Jezebel's death threats. We all know caves are a place for hiding. The fact is, though, sometimes today... We don't recognize we're in the cave. Perhaps, though, you can relate to this one, the man cave. (laughs) Or the sports cave. Or, ladies, this is new and hitting Pinterest like crazy, the she shack. (laughs) Or thanks, Chip and Joanna Gaines, for this fixer-upper she shack. That's nice. I would go there. Our caves may have more comfort, more luxury, and Wi-Fi capabilities, but they're meant to do just the same, to be a place where we can hide, to escape. But caves aren't always physical spaces. Perhaps you recognize these cave memes. The cave of Netflix, get lost for hours. Or the cave of Pinterest, I just wish all the workouts I pinned went towards my mana points because it takes hours to find those things and never do them. Or how about the cave of cell phone, the cave where we can ignore absolutely everything and everyone. But caves are also something that we create with our attitudes. 
I told you, I have two teenage daughters, and I wish I could tell you that sugar and spice and everything nice is exactly what they are all the time, but they're not. Sometimes they let me know very clearly that they have erected their own cave 10 feet tall with a radius of five feet and it has a sign that says, do not enter around them. Regardless of whether you choose a physical cave or technology cave or an attitude of a cave, caves are doing the same thing today that they did back then. They're a place for us to run away from our work, to escape sometimes our children or our spouse or our friends or our life or our failures. And still today, they are the place where we escape from God. But today, in today's passage, the director has moved Elijah to a spot in this scene where he has worked with other cast members. If we were to look back at verse 8, we would see these words. He, Elijah, arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. And there he came to a cave and he lodged in it. This mountain where Elijah has decided, I've escaped from Jezebel, I've escaped from God's calling, is not an escape at all from God. For this mountain is a place where God has spoken and changed people's lives before. This mountain knows his authority. It has shaken with his instructions. And Elijah has chosen it as his place to have a wallow and pity party. In Exodus 18, it says, God called Moses up to this mountain, and a thick cloud fell, and thunder roared, and lightning cracked, and here God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Or in Deuteronomy 5:2, the Lord our God made a covenant with us at Mount Horeb. Both the mountain and, the Eli- and Elijah have known and experienced God, but Elijah is spiritually and emotionally and physically struggling with his experiences. He's traveled for 40 days, alone and depressed. The journey has given him time to think about his role, his mission, and the scenes of his life have created this real maddening story inside of his mind, and I cannot believe that a cave is a great place to go and clear your head, because every time Elijah speaks, his own voice is echoed back to him. When he shares his frustrations at what has been happening, his voice echoes back confirmation of those frustrations. When he questions why God's children will not return to him, his voice echoes back that confirmation. And when he requests to die, his voice echoes back that confirmation. Elijah's time in this cave has weakened his spirit. It has drained his soul, and it has zapped him of any desire to do the work he's been called to do. And most of all, it has left him with only one voice to be heard, his own. The scene that we're entering today in this passage is a dire one. But... I thought perhaps Broadway could lighten the mood and help you understand exactly how Elijah is feeling in this moment. 
myself. There is no one here beside me. <laughs> All alone. Oh, Spamalot, Elijah knows exactly what you're saying, for he has misread the situation. He believes he's all alone and isolated with no one to comfort him or to guide him. And thus, God's voice enters the story today. And he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And then Elijah hits God with his cave rant of crazy story that he's been practicing and heard echoed off the walls back to him. And he says these words, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They have thrown down your altars. They have killed your prophets with the sword. And I, only I, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. If this were a text message, it would have been in all caps. Now, this is probably being a little bit dramatic. Things are bad for Elijah, but the sky isn't falling. And Elijah's taking the liberty here to embellish the truth in his rant. Let's look at it a little more carefully. Israel has forsaken your covenant. Hey, Elijah, after your epic battle where you defeated Baal, the people started crying out, Yahweh is our God. And they are turning their hearts back to you. Or the altars of God have been destroyed. Elijah, and one chapter before this, you rebuilt the altar to have this epic battle with God. You've modeled how to do this. Or finally, they've killed all your prophets with the sword, and I am the only one left. Elijah, you met Obadiah like a week ago, and he hid 600 other prophets for God in the caves, Obadiah is lost. He's caught up in a story he's been telling himself. But before we give Elijah too hard of a time, don't we do this exact same thing? When we're in our places, in our spaces of caves and hiding, we begin to tell ourselves all kinds of stories. We reassure ourselves to the point that we make sure that we are telling ourselves that we need to be justified or we need to be esteemed or we are the victim. And we believe just as deeply in our moments as Elijah did that others zeal for their work, their family, their ministries, or their God is not as strong as our own. But in order to successfully understand this story today, we need to have two lenses on. First, we need that wide-angle lens that shows us the vast expanse of God's story, his work from beginning to end, this beautiful, redemptive, eternal thing that he has promised us. And then we need to zoom in on individual life stories and the getting by day to day. But if we only look through that zoomed-in lens, we're going to get lost Everything's going to get out of focus, and it's going to be so perplexing. So today we have to discover we need both of these lenses, the wide angle that God shows us and our zoomed-in stories. 
Remember that director scene I described earlier? Where the director was seeing this grander story? He's using his wide-angle lens to capture the more. More of the landscape, more of nature, more of the story. And then he pushed in so that he could see what Elijah was up to. He narrowed in on his struggles and what he was going through with his fears and his responsibilities and Elijah's role here on earth. For us, this zoom lens highlights our day-to-day stories, which probably goes something like this. We get up, we go to work, we make money, we pay bills, we get sick, we get tired, we fail exams, we deal with breakups, and we work through conflicts. These are the story elements that we care deeply about. As people of faith, we have to know that God cares about them also, and that he is there in our Zoom lens world, meeting us in just the right timing. God meets us in our close-ups, and he offers us wisdom and guidance on getting through life with dignity and purpose. He intervenes, and he applies a healing salve to our physical and our emotional wounds. Like a tender-hearted father, God loves to lavish us with his care, stretching out his arms to comfort us when we are in distress or to encourage us in our despair. But God has a higher agenda than our survival and our comfort. When we look beyond the daily grind and view each of the stories from the Bible in God's perspective, from this very wide-angle lens, we are seeing something so much bigger. God's story isn't just filled with thousands of stories of God getting people through difficult things places and interventions. Instead, they're telling one grand story, a narrative towards something so much bigger. And this is great news. If you came in here today, perhaps hiding in a cave with your zoomed-in lens showing you your limits, showing you the dead ends of your work or your failures with school, or the brokenness of your relationships, I want you to know God not only looks through this wide-angle lens, he looks in on your zoomed-in situation, and he's going to meet you there. He's going to bring you out of that, just like he's about to bring Elijah out of this moment. Jesus modeled this message when he said, if your first concern is only to look at yourself, then you will never see me. But if you choose to look at me, then you will find both yourself and me. God, the ultimate director of his story, is speaking and working towards an unbelievable redemptive ending. And Elijah is about to get a reminder of that in these next few lines. God says to Elijah, go, stand out there on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. 
and after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Elijah had instructed, God had instructed Elijah to go out onto the mountain, and yet he'd hung back at the cave entrance like a stubborn toddler, not willing to give up the safety of his cave to fully be present with God. But now, God's low whisper initiates this response of Elijah to fully walk out in the presence of God because God has shown him intimacy and love and devotion through this small sound. A whisper to be heard invites closeness. It beckons us to come and to be present with another And so Elijah, hearing it, covered his face, for he knew the Lord was there with him, and he obeyed, and he walked out of the entrance of the cave. In this moment, God knows that Elijah is broken, that his spirit is weary. He sees it, and he's heard it in Elijah's word and in his response. And as a parent, I can tell you, in times where I thought I wanted to battle my child wit to wit in a screaming match, the best way to get their attention was to do the strange thing, to whisper, to call them into a level of intimacy they did not expect, and to know that my love was there waiting for them. This is the move that Elijah is making towards God. He's being drawn out to discover what God is saying. But Elijah is still in his isolation stupor. He cannot shake the cobwebs clearly from his head, nor can he shake the story that he has made up. And as God says to him a second time, why are you here, Elijah? Elijah repeats his exact same words. They said in verse 10 and verse 14, as though this time... This time they may ring true to God. I have been very jealous for you, Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They have thrown down your altars, and they have killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Perhaps, though, this is a moment when we can most relate to Elijah Because deep inside each one of us is the desire to pick up the pen and begin writing our own stories, to get us out of the places that we're in, to see a different ending. And sometimes when we're in our own stories and the director chooses to give the part to someone else, we yell, cut, cut. That's not the way this is supposed to go for this character, my character. I saw something more, more opportunities, more lines, more upward momentum. You can't do this. I want more. And the director responds to us, more? And we, excited with our ideas of our own story, start yelling, yes, more, more opportunities, more beauty, wealth, success, and friends, and then unable to stop, we yell, better, better marriage, better children, better grades, a better boss, and home, 
and car. And while you're at it, if you could set me up with some better family members. That's good. In that moment, though, the director stands and he speaks. Do you want to be in this chair? Do you really want to be in charge? Do you think that you can write, direct, and produce this story? Ignorant of the weight of the question and drunk with the possibilities of writing our own story and our life the way we've always dreamed it or can see it, we answer yes. As a matter of fact, I do. And this is the moment where we see Elijah's response has come to. From his seat in the director's chair, he's saying to God, my part is huge. I failed to bring Israel back to you, God. There is no other way. I was your last and great final hope. God, your story is going to be a flop. There is no way to get around this. You cannot get it back on track. There is no way to move forward from this moment. In this moment, Elijah's mad cave rant from his director's chair has moved him from just the simple role that God's called him to as prophet to the promised Savior. He is so lost in his own scene. And of all the creative abilities and gifts that God has given us, his children, the one thing he hasn't given us is the ability to see the whole story. In the New Testament, Jesus enters a cave. His last words, a whisper. It's finished. The cave, a tomb. The story, not over. Just resting waiting in the silence of the director's control, waiting for the moment of the powerful climactic scene when Jesus would crush death and demonstrate God's powerful story, his eternal plan, offering us the chance to climb out of our caves, to surrender the pens of our own scripts, and to live instead abundantly on script with the role that he has given us. This, this is the moment that Elijah is now sitting in at the end of chapter 19. He has been shaken awake to the fact that he is a prophet, not a savior. And in the remaining lines of chapter 19, God reminds him of his part and that he has a place in this story. And he may not understand it completely, but God sees where it's leading. And he says to Elijah, go back the way you came. And on your way, anoint Hazel to be the king over Syria. Anoint Jehu to be the king of Israel. And anoint Elijah to be a prophet and take your place. And then, this one might be my favorite, Elijah, I'm leaving 7,000 men who have never worshiped Baal in Israel. 
I like this one because of the hidden levels of encouragement that it offers to Elijah. For the next moment when he's weak, he will be strengthened through the knowledge that he is not alone. God is saying, my faithful are out there, Elijah. You can't see it. And I know that must be difficult for you. But you are not alone. And I'm not losing. I wonder what it must have been like for Elijah to take those baby steps out of the cave back onto the path that had brought him to that place to do the part that God had called him to do. And I wonder, what does this story really have for us? It reminds us of three things. First off, God is sovereign. God's plans are sovereign, and he is showing us through his wide-angle lens of his long game that he is using every one of our stories for his purpose and his plans. Think of God's cast with their zoomed-in storylines of their lives. They could have never imagined that they would actually be in this story, and we would be hearing them and taking comfort from them. We also know that God speaks. God still speaks. When we want guidance and direction, and many of us know that we need that thing, we want God to answer us with a billboard-sized message or his audible voice speaking to us and saying, turn here. Or perhaps we want skywriting. But the reality is this. We need to prepare ourselves to be like Elijah to sit and to wait for the moment when God is going to come and tell us what to do next so that we can surrender ourselves and obey his voice. How do I hear God is one of the probably top 10 questions I get with children. And here's what I tell them, and it's good for you to know too. God still speaks to us through his living word. Open up the scriptures You'll hear him speaking to you there. And God speaks to us in this space where we gather to open up his word together, whether it's at church on Sunday morning or in community group or at a coffee shop with friends. And sometimes God speaks to us through another who knows his voice and is trustworthy. But I would tell you, God still speaks in dreams. He still gives us strong impressions. And I would tell you, he gives nudges. When I was a child, my father had a very distinct whistle. And I could hear it in the field call me in for dinner. And I could hear it on the field when I was caught daydreaming and it needed to get my mind back in the game. And I could hear it as a warning when I was driving the tractor along the bale rows. And I could hear it above everything else in the gym when I had made a good play. I knew my father's whistle and what it meant because of the relationship and the time that I had put in to know him. In order to recognize God's voice and when he is speaking, we have to spend time with him. And then we will begin to recognize his tone, his words and his guiding nudges in our lives. Finally, 
God sends. God sends his people. He draws us out of our caves and our need to be in that director chair, and he says, I have a place for you in my story. He's been using men and women to move his mission forward for centuries, and he's going to use you. We all have unique vocations and callings. There are things God wants you to do that I could not do. And we must be ready to do these things for our friends, our families, our schools, our churches, our neighbors. You've got something to contribute. And this is a beautiful and glorious thing. Yet at the same time, the day is coming when your part will end and someone else will do what you have been doing. And we need to prepare ourselves with an Elijah to do the work where we have left off. When God speaks, he offers us this beautiful opportunity to respond like Elijah, stepping forward and leaning in to hear his whisper, to hear his words, his tenderness, his questions, and his instructions for us. God has spoken here today through his scripture being read. And he's inviting us now to be still and to wait for his voice and to respond to him. The moment that comes next in the service is probably going to be as uncomfortable for you as it was for Elijah in that cave when God gives him instructions and speaks to him again about the part he is in to play. I challenge you not to create a cave of escape, but to honor his voice and his plans by listening and being patient. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God and I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. These words are an invitation for us right now to sit with him, to stand and to sing with him, and to know that you and I, like Elijah, have a place in his grander story doing the role that he has given us to do. I'm going to pray, but I want you to know I've asked the worship team to come up and to provide some extended music time so that you can have some silence to experience God. Then as Psalm 46.10 has reminded us, may we as one body be fully present in this scene and then stand exalting him with our voices and prepare for the sending that he has for us, even if it's just baby steps out of this cave that we've come to today. Let us pray. Father, you are so generous, tender, and faithful. Your grand story demonstrates your love for us but today we come to you like Elijah, knowing sometimes we want to hide from you, from your plans, from others, and from the world. We invite you now into this stillness to speak into our hearts, to sharpen our focus, and to widen the angle of our story, to see you and to obey you.